This is Kan Zenshu, the podcast, episode 329 for the week of April 7th, 2013. What up, folks? Welcome to Kan Zenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. Kan Zenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. Feels like it's been an extraordinarily long time since the last episode, even though it's only been uh, an extra day compared to when we usually set things, because uh, last episode was Battle of God's Day. That was a week and a day ago. Here we are. We return in your ears a week later with more Battle of God's content. My name is Mike Vegito EX, and joining me to talk more about the amazing amazing Dragon Ball-ness of the world right now. Uh, let's start yonder across large oceans, Julian, all the way from Japan. Welcome. Yo. What's up, dude? Well, you know, Sunday night, it's late. I have an entrance ceremony to attend tomorrow for my new fresh-faced high school students who are actually like the equivalent of 10th grade in the U.S., but, right. you know, they're still entering high school for the first time, so it's special. Gotcha. Your high school is 10th through 12th? Um, Pretty much all Japanese high schools are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, please indoctrinate them to the ways of Kanzenshu. I will try and see if there are any fans in the midst. <laughs> I want to get the uh, younger Japanese fan perspective so you can be all creepy teacher. We're like, hey, kid, you want to come over to my house and record a podcast? Yeah, yeah that'll get me fired. That's what we need. Another voice you hear joining us halfway across this lovely country right here, the USOA. Heath, the Hoogio. What's up, dude? Oh, not much. Uh, Went to a wedding last night, so feeling that this morning, but (laughs) otherwise things are good. Yeah, I thought you did it wrong. You're supposed to do coffee in the morning, not before bed. I know. I was like, um... Yeah, I need to stay awake at this thing so we can drive home. So. Ah, I see how it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Are you able? Are you willing? Oh, I am completely, because I am not the one that is worse for wear in this household. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's it's the baby, right? Yes. <laughs> Very much so. Okay. Uh, All right. So we got the three dudes. Uh, Is this like the third week in a row? It's been the three of us? The three amigos. I think so. Huh. All right. We have to do the dance. Well, I'll have to boot one of you and get Mary back on the show at some point. And uh, I want to try and hit up Jake from Jupiter at some point. Did you see Jake picked up that, was it, the Strongest Inquiry book? Yeah. He said he regretted it immediately, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. So I want to get his thoughts on that book at some point. All right. So, uh, folks, we got a lot of cool stuff to cover. I mentioned more Battle O Gods. I kind of alluded to it last week. I wasn't specifically planning on doing it the very next week, but I think it's a great thing to cover. I know a lot of you folks have been getting in your official movie guide for Battle of Gods. Mine hasn't arrived yet, but I picked the slow tracking because, well, Julian can just buy one and tell me what's in it. Uh, So we are going to cover uh, really cool stuff about Battle of Gods, which is, if you don't know, and if you don't know, there's a, a large rock you need to come out from underneath as a Dragon Ball fan. The first new theatrical film for the franchise in 17 years. What we're covering this week is, let's call it like the proto-Battle of Gods, or the rough draft of Battle of 
gods from all the reference materials and all the interviews that Julian has uh, been laboring over for weeks and weeks and weeks. We have an idea of what the movie started out as and could have been. So there's about four or five main concepts that we want to hit, explain what they are, how they could have affected the movie, how it did affect the final draft of the movie. And that's great times. We gave you some hints last week. You get all the depth this week. Uh, We have some regular news for you, and that's pretty much an episode. So, gentlemen, let's jump to news. So we have various updates on Battle of Gods in terms of news and various other things in terms of news. Julian, I'm going to start with you. We have uh, a previous update on this story and then one that we it's been a weird week for a variety of us that we just haven't gotten to yet. So let's start with uh, they were on track to beat this goal and it seems like they are still on track to beat this goal. Yes. So based on their first day attendance alone uh, for Battle of Gods, It was already being anticipated that the movie would break its goal of 3 billion yen, which we we talked about previously with the article in Bunkatsushin. Um, So by 1 p.m. on March 30th, now this is the first day that the film was out, not even really halfway over, uh, it was already at 47.3% of One Piece Film Z, uh, first day gross, and that was this past December. Now, One Piece being a huge property in Japan right now, you know, Dragon Ball just couldn't quite make it that far, but that movie did really, really well. And that film reached a gross of 6.85 billion yen over its entire run. And that's, you know, more than double what they're aiming for with Battle of Gods. Mm. So, uh, continuing on this pace, it was um, being seen as certain that it would pass that goal of 3 billion yen. Uh, now, it, it did uh, break down a little bit the audience that it seemed to be centered around parents bringing their children with adults ranging from their late 20s to their 50s. <laughs> we are square, again, we are square in the middle of this intended audience here. I love it. Yes. You know, it's good times. I think they're really pushing for fans of all stripes, yeah, new totally. and old and everyone in between to be able to enjoy the film. So um, it did. Uh, one of the two articles um, also went into a little bit of detail about the uh, first day event at uh, Marunouchi Toei in Tokyo, just with some of the voice actors like Masako Nozawa, Koichi Yamadera, which is the voice of the villain, Beerus, Masaharu Sato playing Kamesenin, Ryoharikawa's Vegeta, and Toshio Furukawa's Piccolo, and Shokotan, the ubiquitous guest. Um, and of course, being her usual quirky and um, slightly spastic self, she was... Uh, how should I put this? <clears throat> okay, she was talking about how she was standing uh, in the most sacred place in the universe and also requested that Vegeta get angry at her. And when Horikawa humored her, she uh, said a fantasy that she had of all her life has come true. You know, you y- y- almost border on... Uh, making fun of her, but let's be honest, if any of us were standing between Masako Nozawa and Ryo Horikawa, and either of them said anything to us, come on. That'd be pretty cool, yeah. Come on. All <laughs> right, so that was kind of the uh, initial on track, looking good in terms of the goal, some uh, movie events taking place. Uh, this is a little bit that we haven't quite formally gotten to on the website, but Julian, we have some additional attendance figures and money figures and stuff. Uh, yes, so we had an update. So as of Wednesday, the 3rd of April, which is this past Wednesday by the time 
you are listening to this if you're listening to it when it first comes out. Anyway, uh, the film had already reached attendance of roughly 990,000 people and was seen as certain to reach a million people on Thursday. And a later update, in fact, confirmed that it did reach a million people on Thursday, its sixth day in theaters, making it the fastest movie this year in Japan to reach that milestone. Uh, The precise numbers as of Wednesday, again, the fifth day in theaters, stood at attendance of 988,790 and gross revenue of 1,146,467,600 yen. I love that I have to put, and 600 yen. Just fishing out the chain from your pocket. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. How very specific they are. Yeah, it is. So other family-oriented films with the same spring vacation period were doing well, like uh, the Doraemon film for this time, as well as Wreck-It Ralph, which has been renamed Sugar Rush in Japan. I don't know why. You know, a few years ago when Up came out, they, re- they renamed it Grandpa Carl's Flying House or something like that. Really? I didn't know that. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Why? But anyway, uh, but yes, so it, it gave a little bit more information about the audience seeing uh, the Dragon Ball film that not only had it, uh, did it have many parents taking their children to see the movie, but it's also attracting older fans of the series as well as groups of women in their teens to early 20s, hmm. truly demonstrating its strength across generations. Well, you, you have to imagine there's the uh, merry type fangirls in there as well, I think. Absolutely. I mean, Toriyama's talked in the past about how, you know, there was Trunks and Vegeta and even Piccolo to an extent that were popular with girls. And while it's very much skewed towards the male demographic, there are female fans and they seem to be coming out in force. Very nice. A little bit of this not news, but sort of news and content stuff. We had the sixth Please Tell Us Akira Toriyama Sensei question that was about romance. We had a couple new interviews that we put up, and uh, one of them contains a tidbit we're going to be talking about in the topic. So we'll uh, skip aside a little bit here. I'm going to hit you up Zenkai Battle Royale. It's the kind of thing we knew was coming, but then the official website for the game went and just plopped it all up anyway ahead of the schedule we figured it would adhere to, which is usually Mondays and Weekly Shonen Jump. Anyway, last month's issue of V-Jump said, uh, is the god of the Saiya going to be coming to the game? And yes, Super Saiyan God Zone Goku is indeed coming to Zenkai Battle Royale. Had a giant picture of him on the site and a bunch of little moves. Uh, Julian, I loved your attempts to figure out translations of the moves, but it seems like they're not even really formal names. It's more of a description of an attack as a formal title for a name, like the Breaking Through the Limit Kamehameha and the, oh god, what was the other one where it's like, you are moving really fast technique. Yes. Well, then they have something for Mr. Satan, like look at that or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I Look mean, over there. If it's that an exclamation, I can, I can see it, but some of these are just, they're not even trying. Yeah. Well, well it's I suppose they're focused more on the uh, substance rather than the style yeah I aspect of things so. but still so uh again the usual spiel zenkai battle royale it's been going for a while now it's still getting updates there's no home port announced we will certainly take a home port if and when it is announced moving on heath why don't you take us to uh i don't want to say related territory but it's also video game stuff video game stuffage issue number 18 of weekly shonen jump for 2013 confirmed that project versus j was officially being retitled j stars victory versus it would also feature naruto uzumaki 
and you know obviously from naruto so now we have the plethora of all j stars essentially in one place well but we may get more in the future oh i'm sure we will so we'll be very ongoing i have a feeling now julian uh this kind of ties in with news that we can't really cover yet because uh your area is behind a week yeah so kansai tv is the local affiliate of fuji tv for uh, Kansai area in Japan, and they will often preempt their programming for things like Hanshin Tigers games. And so because of that, we're a week behind, and I won't get to see this until next weekend. <laughs> so, I mean, that's things, but uh, related to this story, we did hear, um, it's actually Famitsu that seemed to announce it, that during the Dream 9 Super Collaboration special, they were going to show the first footage of the game. And, well, you don't get it until next week, so I guess it's to the internet for us. Yay. <laughs> Yay, boo-hoo. Right. So we'll, uh, we'll keep up on that. Julian, why don't you give us a little breakdown of, uh, it was a new release, but it's kind of news because there was no information about what was actually going to be in this damn book. But uh, we know it's in Dragon Ball SD Volume 1 now. Yes, because I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, yes. So uh, on April 4th, 2013, the first volume of Dragon Ball SD came out. It's the first compilation volume for the spin-off, uh, written by Naho Oishi and overseen by Akira Toriyama. Uh, now, this release happens to be in full color and starts with the first chapter of the reboot of the series uh, with the first 2012 issue. Uh, I believe that's when the magazine Psycho Jump went monthly. Correct. In 2013, or 2013, in 2011, it was a quarterly magazine. Uh, so Dragon Ball SD had four chapters. The first, was it Training with Gridden? It started? Yes. With? Yes. Okay. With Kamei Senen. Okay. So there's that. Then it jumped all the way to Frieza. And then it did the Cell fight. And then it did the Majin Buu fight. And then when Psycho Jump relaunched as a monthly magazine, they rebooted SD and they just started at the beginning of the series and took more time in each chapter to kind of flesh out those stories rather than cramming basically half a story arc into one chapter so i don't i don't want to consider those four chapters lost but they have not been compiled at this point yes well even so they they do leave out a lot and it's you know it's not pausing at any point for breathing room and they they skip over quite a bit of stuff well i know but that's the internal contents of the chapters and not the well now these four chapters if you didn't buy Psycho Jump, then, well, yeah. out of luck right now. Yep. So the the volume is in full color, and it comes with a couple of bonus things, including uh, a greeting and illustration from Akira Toriyama congratulating Naho Oishi on her first volume of Dragon Ball SD. And there's also a Me Back Then comic in the style of Akira Toriyama's old uh, occasional interstitial segments from the manga, talking about when she first got the opportunity to work on this series and also talking about the artistic freedom which she thought maybe she had and didn't get to exercise in the end yeah you know i think we need to do a dragon ball sd catch up i know we reviewed all the quarterly chapters and i think we started with the monthly and then we all just threw up our hands and stopped caring so now that there's a compilation version maybe we can do a an sd volume one review at some point and then we can cover a little bit of that extra stuff too does that oh, mean okay. that i actually have to buy it uh yep okay 
<laughs> I'll add that to the list. <laughs> All right. Just another one for the pile. Or you can just sit out that episode. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll do either. I'm not opposed <laughs> to buying content. The apathy is overwhelming here. <laughs> right. I already own it. Right. So, well, you're recruited. Uh, maybe I can get Mary to do that show and Heath can just... Yay, not. Mary would be my hero. <laughs> All right. Uh, Heath, why don't you tell us what we don't know about Europe? What don't we know? When Namco Bandai brought the Dragon Ball video game license back in-house from Atari back in 2009, uh, the American branch of the company, uh, you know, heavily promoted the, the franchise, and we had all these upcoming games over the course of, you know, the next year. Yeah, they were really heavy with it. I mean, we were yeah. able to get review copies back then, and I think they even send some little gashapon stuff. They're like, please cover our stuff. And then after that first year, it's, what's Dragon Ball? Yeah, and we... We've even talked to them, and they're like, yeah, we'll get back to you. <laughs> and But promotions just significantly dropped off the map here in the U.S., and you haven't really seen a whole lot. But the European branch still going strong all the time. Huge mix of fans over there. There's always something going on, some huge hype. And, in fact, we have even more coming our way from Europe. Uh, on their Facebook page, which is the European branch for Namco Bandai, correct? They they posted up this nice little tease, I guess we could call it. The plan to conquer the world will soon be complete. Get ready. And it was posted under Dragon Ball Games. So, of course, what is this? Well, speculation went haywire. Is it Dragon Ball Heroes Ultimate Mission? J-Stars Victory Versus? Could it be some tap battle? Zenkai Battle Royale? We just really don't know, and hopefully we will soon. Yeah, they, I think they're really trying to get the the like count up to 100,000 on that page. And the thing is, their uh, big gamers day last year is what gave us uh, DBZ for Connect the official reveal. Uh, this year it did happen, and I didn't go, so I'm not under embargo for anything, so what the hell do I care? I do know that they did not reveal any... Uh, let me say that again. They did not reveal any dbz stuff uh at the event this year they of course did have some other stuff but that stuff is embargoed so you can't really embargo something that doesn't exist and i wasn't there but i do have confirmation so bleh. there you go confirmed <laughs> confirmed okay. lack of confirmation <laughs> yay so it, it does sound like they're leading up to something but it isn't necessarily this month or this week or anything like that well there you go so we will keep you posted yepers in other video game news this has been fun to keep track of uh you're just talking about ultimate mission on the japanese nintendo 3ds last week was its uh full month kind of fell off one of the charts the media create chart it did pop up on the famitsu sales chart way down at number 22 it came back on the media create list this week and it did another 8,924 copies so just about 9,000 copies and that of course lets us plug back in do a little math how many did it do the fourth week that the media create list didn't report on so we get a final number of right now after five weeks it's done 140,208 copies two of those being myself and Jake and I can't even play the game uh, so it's it's crazy that it has done above and beyond. I mean, we keep talking about this on the site and on the podcast. Above and beyond what other Dragon Ball games couldn't do in an entire calendar year, uh, Ultimate Mission has done basically in a month. So we're, we're just repeating the conversation at this point. No word on a North American or any kind of international release just yet. I constantly see people searching for it on the site and they just keep getting these sales figures. And I'm sure it just infuriates them. That they're like, I keep searching for this and I keep seeing it's doing well. 
why won't you give it to me? But I guess we'll just have to stay tuned and see if there's anything coming our way. That's really it for news other than, Julian, I guess you got to pick up this, is it Nikkei Entertainment Magazine? I have, actually. Oh, you did pick it up? Yes. So there's there's no interviews in it, but there's a series of essays by Hooray. people related oh. to the film. Uh, so there's one from Kozo Morishita. There's one from Masahiro Hosoda. There's one from uh, Akio Ioku, the gotcha. editor-in-chief of V-Jump and a couple of other people. So that's going to keep me busy well into the rest <laughs> of the year. Gotcha. What kind of magazine is this? Just kind of entertainment, news, features kind of thing? Yeah. And uh, the focus this issue really seems to be on not only Dragon Ball in uh, in particular, but uh, shonen manga in general, mm-hmm. uh, talking a little bit on, on how Jump is trying to pull its um, material sort of back away from fighting to an extent and more towards the male demographic. I don't know, maybe they're trying to sort of focus themselves a little bit more when they're sort of all over the place, really, with what they've got. Hmm. But that's that kind of poses a little problem because their flagship title, One Piece, is very much fighting-oriented and it's got both male and female fans. It's yeah. square square in the middle in terms of its balance for uh, gender. Huh. So we'll, we'll see, I guess, a little bit about that, but it's interesting too. Which is weird because all of their... Their main series that have traditionally done well have all been action fighting oriented. With large female audiences. I mean, you yes. go back to the, the Dragon Ball era is when things really started shifting. I mean, Kenshin's got a huge female fan base. Uh, even some of the and, sports ones like Slam yeah. Dunk, I know, has a bunch of female fans. So I don't know. I, I don't know what they're doing here. Yes, I'm not reporting on the wisdom of this uh, particular <laughs> right, effort. I'm right. just. I'm just saying what I read in the magazine. I understand that. All right. So that actually kind of wraps up the news. Uh, we got some other stuff here that, again, not really news, just kind of content. We, uh, and by we, I mean Julian, a uh, big overview of Chozenchu 3 that came out this week and all that good stuff. So uh, with that all in mind, let us head on over to more Battle of Gods content. Our topic this week is uh, a collection of ideas, really. It's uh, all the stuff that went into the production of Battle of Gods, the new movie, that didn't necessarily make it into the final version or were transformed along the way, usually by Toriyama himself, before the final version of the movie. We've given you some hints, uh, specifically last week on the show when we did Julian's Got a first review on the movie, so definitely go back and check that out with my sinus infection self. I felt so bad listening to the show last week. I'm like, oh, I didn't even hear that. It sounded like that. I'm so sorry. Uh, but Julian, you broke down. I mean, I, I had an outline in my head, and you're like, that's not good enough. Here's five pages of stuff. <laughs> good job, Yeah, Julian. so I, I, I just took all the interviews that I've translated and several that I haven't got around to translating yet and just right. took out the pertinent bits. Uh, everything we know about the concept that they started with with uh, scriptwriter Yusuke Watanabe's original plot for the film before Toriyama uh, came on board to say, you know what, how about this story instead? And, um, you know, we want to sort of break down what that was and where we think it might have gone and just the, the relative merits of each of these things. Right. You know, why don't we start with this one? This is, again, something we hinted at last week, but let's go a little more in depth. And that's, it sounded like, Everything, everything about this movie hinged on these two concepts, the God of Destruction and Super Saiyan God. And there were some initial concepts for these, some of which are still in the final version, but some of which you can see where those concepts came from and why they're not the same in the movie. I almost can't describe it unless we really 
get in depth here. So one of them was that Beerus was going to be this evil lizard god thing that could almost infect or cast evil upon people or beings, and that was originally going to be the Saiyans. And then Super Saiyan God was tied into that. Julian, what uh, what other back history or explanation is there for this? Well, we don't know necessarily that Super Saiyan God was tied into that, but it makes okay. sense logically. Got it. Especially since we know that that concept existed from the earliest stages, right, even right before start. Watanabe came on board. Mm. So we could see how he maybe wanted to incorporate that there. Now, uh, apart from that, so we know um, from what Yusuke Watanabe has said he wanted to create something with some heavier themes, things like good and evil mm. and what makes a hero and sort of what would happen if sort of the seeds of evil were to sprout within people's hearts. And what he reports on through these different interviews is this idea that um, basically not only was Beerus this being who caused the science to become evil, but that um, basically on Earth, uh, Goku's friends would be sort of put under his spell or come over to his side and be evil as well. That sounds really familiar if anyone's ever seen Dragon Ball GT. <laughs> well, I was going to say it also sounds a little bit similar to the Garlic Jr. filler arc as well. Oh, that is true. Infecting things. So maybe I'm glad they didn't necessarily go that route there. That has been one complaint that we've had with previous movies in the past. You know, like Mike's yep. favorite movie of all time, right. Dragon Ball Z Movie 4, we always would say, ah, oh, this feels like something I've seen before. Well, I mean, all the previous movies would... I mean, if you really wanted to reduce it down, in a nutshell, they were parallels to who's the villain right now can we make someone similar to that and put our heroes in a situation similar to that that we can wrap up in 40 minutes? This was completely different because of the scale of production, but also because the series hasn't been in production for 17 years at this point, at least the series proper. So there's a lot of that going on. This so much reminds me of all of the comments Toriyama has made, and I continue to take it back to the Bardock special, where he says, I can't tell stories that dark, and I don't like to keep it that dark. I have to put some fun and action into the mix so that it doesn't get brought down that far. But it sounds like Toriyama was interested in going that route, but not completely. So... The thing that Toriyama says, at first, the things that he's mentioned are that he was bothered by certain bits of dialogue and characterization, the kind of thing that only the the original author would know. But it's clear that also he kind of didn't like the very dark tone of the story, like you said. And particular, the thing that gets raised again and again in these interviews is the earthquake from two years ago. Yeah, yeah. That caused a massive amount of damage uh, on the in the eastern part of Japan and killed, God, over 10,000 people. I mean, that is something that, you know, can scar a populace. And there are towns, even, you know, not taking into account the nuclear disaster that were effectively depopulated by this. Right. So it was a very clear decision on his part that he wanted to steer away from anything that was too upsetting. 
Yeah. He didn't yeah. want it to depict serious, like, mass panic. He didn't want to depict destruction on a mass scale. Right. And, you know, I, I guess we should have said this earlier, but there's not going to be significant spoilers for the movie here. This is all talk of concepts and stuff that did not make it into the final version. So maybe that does color what does happen a little bit. And, yes. And so this is not full spoiler here, but it, it's safe to say you can probably assume just because this is how Dragon Ball goes, but the Earth is not destroyed by the God of Destruction. So yes. there, there's almost this hint of we could have destroyed things, and there's a little, well, Beerus does destroy a little, kind of little something, but it's, oh, we, we do not have full-scale destruction going on. Yes. Now, this God of Destruction concept was something that predates, apparently, Toriyama's involvement with the work. Right. So... You know, it, you have almost this sort of contradiction. Well, we have a god of destruction, but Toriyama doesn't want us to destroy anything. So what do we do? <laughs> right. Um, so I think that is part of the reason why it sort of became the kind of thing that it did, where it's very much a sort of uh, very much nostalgic uh, sort of feeling of a reunion of all the characters, even though they themselves are not really reuniting after that long. It seems like um, that's why Beerus was changed into, or maybe not even changed, but kind of given a little bit of flavor that's he's got more dimension to him right and um watanabe does mention in one of his interviews that originally he wrote Beerus as really evil but mm. toriyama didn't like that approach so he turned him into a, a much more i don't know if you could call it exactly sympathetic but something that has his own quirks his own sort of i don't know human human failings except he's a god right but, you yeah, know, yeah and not human well, Tor Toriyama even says when he first got the script, he had a bunch of notes, and instead of just telling them to change this and this, he just basically rewrote the entire thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I mean, we do know that Yusuke Watanabe was the scriptwriter, but everything we have heard has been, yes, I, Toriyama, have been heavily involved. And I feel like we're almost at the point where, can we credit the script to both? Um. It seems that way. In fact, he mentions in the Q&A in the official movie guide, he mentions that he basically took the plot that Akira Toriyama gave him and turned it into a script. So basically, the original concept that he had was almost entirely thrown out. Right. Well, he, Toriyama even says in one of his interviews, I can't remember specifically, but he said he even included some dialogue. dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Which is very rare for him. Usually it's just, here's a plot. And I'll let you guys write up the dialogue. Which is similar to what we at least understand was the core idea behind the Jump Super Anime Tour special, where it's, mm -hmm. I have this idea, Koyama and company, go. Basically, yeah. So, I and I, I do feel like maybe we should maybe put our notes up on the site for other people to look at, since we're not specifically referencing them. <laughs> but there's just so many different things all at once that it's difficult We've to pick up. We've had so much backstory stuff. for this yeah, movie. Yeah. It's really hard to keep track of where everything's coming from. Well, I, I started to, and I'd like to flesh it out more. I'm probably going to use this podcast as my guide to it, but on the movie guide page for Battle of Gods, I did start up this kind of like rough draft ideas section. I think I only have about three quotes in there right now, most of which we talked about last week, but I'm going to try to expand that as we do this. But then, <laughs> I mean, the page is just going to get overwhelmed, but maybe that's for the yeah. best. Maybe we just wanted to right. have, here's everything, go. Yes. Well, I <laughs> I was just flipping yes. down the page, and uh, the Toriyama quote I was talking about comes from Asashi Digital. Okay. So that's where that's from. Or he's like, my hand would just not stop. I just kept going. <laughs> right. Yes. 
And um, I think we can maybe talk about Super Saiyan God a, a little bit at this point. Yeah, it, let's go there. It's a concept that was there. Uh, apparently, the the people who were planning on it had this idea even before Yusuke Watanabe was brought into production. They wanted something that surpasses Super Saiyan 3, or at least is like the strongest thing there is. Now, I don't know if they had decided on a time period by that point or whether they were consciously going to ignore GT. Right. But they have this idea, and it appears uh, we don't have anything specific written about it, but that Watanabe probably wanted to tie it in with this concept of Beerus being a really evil guy by having the Super Saiyan God being a righteous Saiyan who fought against the ones who had been turned evil and... If the concept is relatively true to the way it's presented in the film, eventually failed. Does it sound like, and again, we're kind of reading into and inferring here, that in the past, tying these two rough draft ideas together, that Beerus infected the science and that's why they were so evil, and then the Super Saiyan God is something that he knows about because... In the past, a Super Saiyan God did try to come together and gather some righteous Saiyans to save the race in a way, but it didn't work. That seems to be the way it's going, especially because the way it's presented in the film. There's this legend among the Saiya that, <laughs> for that okay, before. it's a thing, but <laughs> you know, no it, doesn't, about. It, it doesn't tie into anything else. It's right. kind of this loose hanging plot thread that you basically have to dispend, suspend disbelief about in order for the plot to work. The way that it comes out of nowhere makes me think that it was much more closely tied into everything earlier on that was just sort of discarded. That maybe we even would have gotten an animated flashback of the original Super Saiyan God, or at least a shadowy version. And yes. I know I hinted at this before, but I'm really worried right now that they're going to try and tie in Bardock as now not only the original Super Saiyan, but the way that his character, I don't want to say has been changed, but they're not even taking liberties, but maybe they are just, he's doing righteous things. I hate to keep using that word, but he's saving these people. And is he going to stick around through time or travel through time and I be there not. to try and save the science? I mean, he almost tried to save them in the Bardock special proper, but now as this legendary super sign, are we going to get episode of Bardock two super sign God? Oh, I don't think so. Just only because it seems to be stretching things a little too far, but you never know. Hey, man, game sell. Uh, <sighs> Heath, what do you think about that? Is that, like Julian says, too far out there? Or is that right in line? Well, personally, I just think it's a terrible idea. Oh, it's awful. But uh, <laughs> I I don't think they would stretch that far. Um, I, I think that would be a huge stretch to try to pull all that together. It, and I think it would start to confuse a couple people. In general. Yeah. I think even it would confuse the anime staff. They've yeah, <laughs> right, right. You know, I want to pull our buddy Lance uh, back on the show at some point, and I can never remember where he wrote it, somewhere on the forum, but he had this wonderful response about how the, the great thing about Bardock was that he was not special. And to glorify him in this way and in this further way and this awful idea that I'm presenting to you does kind of destroy the specialness of him not being special. So let's get Lance exactly. back on the show at some point to talk about that a little more. And even even to me, in the original Bardock TV special, 
it's not even so much that he's trying to save the Saiyans. He's just trying to save himself and yeah. get everybody to help him because he knows he's not strong enough. Right. But everyone's just like, whatever. <laughs> you're batshit crazy, man. Yes. Hey, you're drunk, even though we're all drunk. Yes. So there's one thing that was taken from the script. There's another thing that he mentions at one point is that originally the idea he had for everybody being on Earth at a party and then the villain coming down to mm. Earth while Goku's not there. And oh no, um, they was going to have it be the wedding of Kuririn at number 18. Right. Um, now, some people have suggested that, well, they're getting married an awfully long time after they had their child. Well, I think maybe originally he intended it for it to be before the Boo arc. Mm. You know, there's this other long gap of, yeah. what, seven years in between the defeat of Cell and the start of the Boo arc. There's plenty of time gaps in the series. And, I mean, just going off of that, most of the children in the series appear to be bastard children. So that's not that big a deal. Well, you know, Goku was married by saying, you know, I, you know I, let's have yes. a marriage. Okay, Gohan, What does it taste yes. like? Goten, yes. But <laughs> Trunks, no, and... Pon, we didn't really know about, but no one really cared. We just assumed, and onward from well, there. Pon appears to be legitimate. Well, well then now she does. Going by what happens in Battle of Gods, but then further information that says, oh, wait, nope, yep, they're married. So, okay. I guess we're clear yes. here for society's standards. Yes. Whatever. Well, it doesn't matter. Really it doesn't anything. matter. No one cares. Well, at least no one here. <laughs> well, anyway, so, you know, Goku would be dead, so he wouldn't be on Earth. And that would make sense as to why he's training with Kaio, although yeah, not yeah. on his planet. And, you know, it would be an excuse for everybody to be getting together and celebrating something. And, yes, that would be a big problem. Now, you could argue that this kind of impinges a bit on movie nine, where there's a similar situation where everybody is together, though not at a party. Right. And the villain comes to Earth and causes havoc. And, oh, no, Goku's not here. What do we do? Mm. So. But also, in addition to that, if they place it there, then we have something where do they want to surpass Super Saiyan 2 or Super Saiyan 3? Because if it's in between there, Super Saiyan 3 would not have been introduced yet. Right. And so I think maybe that's an early concept that maybe wasn't entirely clear. But regardless, uh, when the story came back from Akira Toriyama, it was gone and replaced by birthday party for Bulma. What do we think about this? I mean, it ties two questions. Do we think the, the birthday party is a better idea for it? And do we think that back in the same time span as the Jump Super Animator special was a good idea? Heath, I'll start with you. I like the birthday party idea much better. Mm hmm. I think it fits in a little more. Fits her character, for sure. Yes, very much so. And then on top of that, I mean, poor Kurilin would just be like, man, now my wedding is ruined and I can't do a damn thing about it. (laughs) But that would also be perfect for him where it's, I just want to get married and oh, god damn it. (laughs) So Poor little guy. That could have worked. But no, I I like it as a, a concept idea, but I really think that the Bulma birthday party works out much better especially for what the film ended up being and the character of beerus I, yeah, yeah i think that totally fit him more where he's just there casually and hanging out that's true for it to be about bulma um in a variety of ways in the actual actions of and characters you get Bulma's interaction with him, yeah, yelling yeah. at him about, oh, my, you're ruining my party. Which, yeah, it could have still been if it was 
at the wedding, but then it wouldn't be as much about her. Her. And yeah. I could see the same thing happening with number 18, but if you're going to go for pure nostalgia with fans, you got to go back to the character who was there yes. at the very beginning. Well, you have to think of the characters in this case, too, because Kuridin is the kind who frets about this sort of thing, but he'd also be the kind who wouldn't just be going up and say, you're you're ruining my party. Like, Excuse me, sir, you're kind of ruining my party. Could you please go? <laughs> number, number 18 is similarly self-centered to Bulma, but she's also sort of the cool type, and she'd be like, yeah, um, that guy's ruining a wedding. <laughs> Why don't you go yeah. do something? <laughs> oh, well. Kuridin gets, you know, some nice one-liners in about Bulma. Yep. So, mm-hmm. yes. so that's nice. All right. So I think we all agree that uh, maybe the birthday party was a better idea. But it would make sense of the ages that some of the characters give if it were in that time frame for mm, the wedding. Right. That's just it an oversight. Before the boo arc. We don't know. Yeah. We've talked about that. That's yeah. a good point. Uh, well, so after that point, I think we can maybe talk about some of the ideas that came up. Well, first on the character design side, we have Tadayoshi Yamamuro, and he's talked a bit about the ideas that he had for the character designs before Toriyama sort of said, you know what, why don't I do them? Yeah. Um, so we have Beerus, who was going to be lizard-like, apparently. So not not cat-like at all, but a lizard. So, but Toriyama instead decided to base the character on his cat, complete with mannerisms. I don't know if he owns a purple cat, but um, it's a Cornish Rex, which has uh, short hair and long ears and looks vaguely similar to the villain of the film. So, I don't know. I think maybe the reptilian thing being sort of cold and very inhuman fit with the Mm. very evil approach that they had early on. Definitely, yeah. Whereas, you know, cats are sort of similar to the God of Destruction himself, sort of inscrutable, and they can be at turns lovable and absolutely demonic. Right. Um, can speak from experience here. Yes. Both both cute and um, diabolical. <laughs> yes. That's a great way to describe it. Always plotting. In, in that way, I, I think um, maybe the cat design was a very fitting uh, choice for Beerus, in, especially in terms of the character that Toriyama rewrote him as. Mm. Um, now, with re- what, what uh, is more interesting to me is maybe the r- initial design for Super Saiyan God is that um, Tadayoshi Yamamuro is saying that originally he had this idea of something that was more massive than Super Saiyan and with um, a cape and with a hairstyle that was in between Super Saiyan 3 and 4. Hmm. I really want to know why he wanted him to have a cape. I think that's what intrigues me the most. Just to be because something heroes have capes. different. I mean, just so it's not just hair i guess i think it's interesting that they're referencing gt a little bit uh going in between there great Siaman is a cape well true but that's kind of wacky hero as opposed to this well okay crazy Fine. serious hero i'd love to see any potential designs there were just to know kind of get a much more visual idea of what this was what do we all think about the change here we know from toriyama that it was no i want to pare down this design to something much more simple than we've had before and it's to the point where goku's even thinner than he would be normally that's how pared down it is um heath do you think that was a good design decision well you know as we've heard from many people on the forum there's both sides to this argument. I tend to fall more on the I like it side because it 
is so different. It doesn't completely bulk up the character, make him super strong. To me, in my mind, this is more what a god would look like. He's fighting with godly power, not just raw, raw power, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I I hear what Yamamura is talking about, and I start getting flashes to the terrible AF designs Ever yes. since 1997, <laughs> I mean, is that what Super we really Saiyan want? Super Saiyan 10 Brotinks. Right. I, I don't want that. And I don't want that at all. I think that would completely demean the series and in, in the progression that it had in these Super Saiyan stages. Yeah. And to take it back all the way to the basics almost, you know, and the only thing that really changes is because his hair stays the same. It just changes color. Mm-hmm. And from what we've heard, you know, Julian's seen it, but the the fiery aura that he has is completely different than anything he's ever had before. Right. So I think it all works in very well to take it back almost to the beginning, because that's kind of where the story was coming from at that point of going back to the beginning of this original Super Saiyan God. Julian, I got to ask you, with all of those design notes in mind and what the final form or form or state is do you feel like it's too similar to Kaioken? I don't. I think it's sim- it's different enough that it stands out and the way that he fights in this form it's not he's not under strain the way he is in Kaioken. The, the Kaioken was always sort of drawn in a way that it was clear that Goku was sort of fighting with his energy in himself, that it was taking a physical toll. Yeah. And while it gave him brief bursts of strength and speed, it was not helping him in the long run he needed to rely on it to defeat an opponent quickly so it wouldn't kill him instead yeah yeah um and this is something that feels different it feel he feels more relaxed and natural in it and the and those uh little mannerisms like that i think set it apart and i, I do think that on the screen it is visually much more distinct uh from the kaioken that people are suggesting but you know um I, I guess I have a bit of a unique perspective having actually seen the film. <laughs> right. Now, with regards to the design itself, I, I think I echo Heath's opinion. And I think it it is um, representative of the way that the story went. In particular, uh, Gohan's own transformation, there was this whole buildup with it, the way that the other characters were doing. It was wrong. They kept bulking up, but all it did was slow them down. Mm. And then Gohan's transformation is actually leaner than the initial Super Saiyan transformation. Yeah, yeah. And and while um, the Super Saiyan 3 is kind of something a little bit different, it does not significantly bulk Goku up that much. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I think in that respect, it, it carries that through fairly well. And I know that not everyone agrees with it. I know some people look to Super Saiyan 4, which is kind of something different because it's supposed to represent the power of the Ozaru in it's sort of a compact humanoid size. Sure. But different strokes for different folks, I guess. Yeah, I can see anyway. that. I mean, the GT side of things where it's that it feels very much like this is a sign exclusive form. Like no other race that we've seen in the series could be this pulling in the the great ape down to this human sized thing. Whereas Super Saiyan God, I feel like anyone could kind of look like that, but it still kind of works. Well, I think the fact that it has that sort of unassuming look is exactly what Toriyama was going for. He even says that people who look like they're supposed to be strong in his works turn out not to be. Right, right. 
And I agree with him there. And especially the more I read from his perspective about it, or it's, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay. I'm totally on board here. So, okay. So there were some other things in the script writing stage where, you know, you have, um, so Toriyama's coming out with these ideas, but, uh, at least Watanabe felt they weren't long enough to make into a movie. So he decided to write this little subplot where these thieves come in and attempt to steal the Dragon Balls. But when Toriyama took a look at it, he thought, well, you know, we're having basically the whole cast in here, so why don't we make it Pilaf and Company? And so he thought, oh yeah, okay, and he wrote it in that way. And it's interesting in that in making this little change, you have this whole th- subplot where basically Pilaf and company are turned into children because of a an errant wish um, on the dragon. And it's interesting how they really managed to sort of put this focus on the characters and their own interactions. Um, in particular, uh, particularly at one point because Watanabe mentions how basically they are not really relevant to the overarching plot. And yet they feel so natural in the film and that's something that is maybe something that only Toriyama would be able to do. Yeah, yeah. Just incorporating these characters in such a way that even though they aren't really relevant to the main plot, they feel like they belong. You know what I think is... I hate to just say interesting. I feel like we've said that so much. I heard myself say it so many times last episode. I need a better word for it. But uh, Watanabe was saying that he was able to jump into the script and even be able to write lines of dialogue for characters as a fan, just knowing exactly what they would say because he's been so entrenched in Dragon Ball all his life, that this is the kind of concept that he just totally missed this opportunity here and it did take the original author to come in and say hey why don't you do this and it's kind of one of those duh moments why wouldn't you use Pilaf instead of random one-off characters yes well Toriyama also mentioned how they've been getting pretty old at this point and you know you go another 10-ish years into the future if you want to include GT and they're really old yeah but who cares it's make arguments, but yeah and I think that's why they're kids too right <laughs> So, you know, it's, yeah, yeah it, it, it is uh, an enjoyable aspect of the movie and you don't feel like they're wasting time at all doing this. Um, so, yeah, I think that basically covers the whole subplot with um, Pilaf. And we, we've talked about the plot implications in past episodes, but um, there is apparently a suggestion in the original scenario on the part of Akira Toriyama where he wanted the god of destruction, to defeat everyone using a spoon or a fork. Now, as hilarious as this would have been, uh, the animation uh, supervisor, Tadayoshi Yamamuro, felt that this was just not something that he could do. A fork is dangerous and would be <laughs> difficult to choreograph a fight in which he didn't, you know, stab somebody with That's it. That's true. Stab so, some eyes, pull them out. Yeah. Um, so he decided to change it into chopsticks instead. And so you got this uh, little sort of, not even acrobatic, but just sort of very, um, almost very graceful sequence in which he uses the chopsticks to throw Tenshin Han and um, defeat Piccolo effortlessly. And I forget what he does with, I think he chops number 18 on the back of the neck. Yeah, stops her in midair or something. And then, yeah. Yeah. So he, he's just using these chopsticks like, oh, yeah, okay, back to eating. Right. That's, that sort of, he defeats them uh, like he's not even trying. 
And that, I think the chopsticks decision was actually quite effective. Yeah, I like that. It's this unassuming implementation thing going on. Yes. Although I think the spoon would have been hilarious. Yeah, that too. But then you also get this blunt spoon that you could stab and scoop out guts with. So let's not go there. You. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But Julian, I, I do want to talk more about other characters. A lot of people, at least... Those that have seen the film, which is only people in Japan, but also those reading along with our detailed synopsis have said, hey, the other characters, I mean, I guess they get screen time, but there's nothing in the way of, say, One Piece where all the side characters get squared off against someone. They each get their own little time to shine. There's not really anything like that here. You just said everyone jumps in and gets defeated with chopsticks pretty much immediately. But there was Well, apparently was the there potential. was... Yes. So what he says in terms of um, that development in the official movie guide, um, he says, it was my first experience with writing the scenario. So what I understood the least was I had no grasp of how much writing would translate to how much length on screen. Mm. So I thought that the anime staff would further expand on the script I'd supervised, but it seems the scenario was actually so long that it had to be cut down. They told me that in the first storyboards, they had already cut it down somewhat, but it was still over two hours long. Oh my goodness, okay. Yes, and then um, Masahiro Hosoda, in a separate interview in the same official movie guide, which, despite being slim, is just jam-packed with interviews, so I recommend that pretty well. So he talks about um, just uh, working with the uh, the uh, staff members, and he's saying, you know, he was able to leave a lot of it to them because some of them had been working on the series longer than he had. But uh, he says, only in the end, we expanded the scenarios too much. And at the storyboarding phase, we had already gone very much over the intended length. So as a result, we cut down quite a bit. In the scenario, the Z-Warriors played a larger role. So I would have liked to put more of that video if possible. Each of them, uh, the video, I mean the moving pictures. (laughs) Yes. Uh, it's not implying that he's going to put it into a home release. I should right, right. put that out there. Anyway, uh, if possible, each of them has their fans after all, and I think they've all trained and gotten stronger. Uh, also, we shortened the breaks in the fight and such and managed to just barely get it within the allotted time. So contrary to what you expect, I think concentrating it made it more impressive. So, you know, it has a situation where, okay, there apparently were scripted fights, but they had an allotted length that they needed to adhere to. I'm not sure whose decision that was. It might have been the animation studios. It might have been a time, like, production Yeah, probably time consideration. everyone, yeah, yeah. So that they could have included these things, but, you know, it would have made the movie much longer. It would have made, um, from what we've uh, heard about the way that the fights were choreographed, it would have been a much greater expenditure of yeah. effort and time and money and it would have probably delayed the movie, frankly, um, because we can talk about a little bit of the choreography again. Uh, maybe you can add something to this first. Yeah, we'll hold off on that. So, Heath, here's my question to you based on this whole thing. As someone who has only read a text description of the movie, do you feel that you wanted this extra material in here or does it sound like it would have kind of taken away from just how compact the rest of the story being told was? I think if any, they could have had just a short five minutes or something like that. But how would you get all the characters in? And I, I think at that point you have to compromise of, well, do we just do these or do we do everyone? And when it comes to budget, 
and especially this series with what we've seen over the last couple of years, I think they were very hesitant to do anything yeah, like that. They're going to be careful. Especially delay mm, the movie. They couldn't. And, they had that and I, I believe that was a very big possibility because we've, uh, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't say it, but we've, we've heard rumblings from other people in Japan that have talked to some of the staff and have said they're were times where they weren't sure they were going to get it out the door. It was tight. It was so. Yeah, if you start doing a lot more, especially with animation, yep, where you got to sit down and you have to choreograph all this stuff. I mean, that takes days. Yeah, that's not something that you can cheap out on. I mean, it it would be obvious, and even if you do cheap out on it, it's still raw time. So my question, I guess, not to anyone in particular, but is so including all these characters and having them do more stuff. And I think Jake even mentioned something like this in the uh, giant forum thread. All right. So what does that accomplish? It exactly. It just has everyone jump in and get beat. Is yes. that interesting? Not really. I mean, I guess if that's what people really want to see is their favorite character jump in to get their ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess. Are they really your favorite character? I personally think it kind of takes away from the impressiveness of the villain, the, yeah. The the whole idea is that, you know, he, he has already effortlessly defeated Goku as Super Saiyan 3. Nobody is going to be able to hold their own against him. That's right. a given. Yeah, you know, yeah. far better for them to just, you know, jump in and then that's immediately it. get, you know, he's not even trying. He's just using chopsticks like, get out of my way. Shoot. Right. <laughs> well, even I think it really builds up to the point where you have Vegeta, tax him, loses and being one of the other strongest characters in the series at that point, where he just admits defeat and says, it, it would be an honor to be killed by you. And even then, at least Beerus kind of raises an eyebrow like, oh, well, that was almost something, but that was the extent of it. Like, n- no yeah. one else. No one. Uh, well, we we can talk a little bit about the choreography. Okay. That, um, we, we, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, that uh, with Toriyama putting this constraint on them, that he did not want depictions of mass panic or destruction on a large scale right that they really had to sort of work around this and one of the things that they did uh, according to the director was that they they sort of planned out this elaborate sequence where okay they're going to start a capsule corporation they're going to move on to a forest and a wasteland and a lake and then underground and into space and using cg to accomplish a lot of that um and well, they do go through a city at one point, but they don't hit anything and no one gets hurt. Yes, so they're, right. they're moving around very quickly and they, uh, the, they're they using a lot of CG in terms of the, the quote-unquote camera following the action. And it's very interesting that the reaction of the people, since they don't know what's going on, is like, oh, there's fireworks at Capsule Corporation or something? I don't know. You know, they, they don't know what's going on. But that's all very deliberate and they... I think they relied very heavily on the visual effects and the use of CG here in order to create a sense of sort of dramatic composition and to make the fight impressive almost um, almost as much because nobody gets killed as um, for the lack of uh, as in spite of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there will be people arguing that it would have upped the drama and... Well, yeah, I guess, kind of. Do we need that, though? I mean, Boo's already destroyed the Earth. We're we're good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would really serve a purpose. And frankly, you know, we know 
that he, he's the god of destruction. He could destroy the earth in the blink of an eye. And, you know, what purpose would it serve? I mean, mass destruction. But in this case, it would be relatively small scale compared to what we know from the outset that he is capable of doing and could do if um, his mood yeah. goes that way. So, yeah. You even have, I think, for Toriyama's sake, on top of just the earthquake disaster, it it seems to be something that he's always tried to do almost in every arc of the story. What, threaten the entire move planet? It, uh, yeah, well, no, move all the battles away. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, from, you know, the general populace of the Earth. The only time we really see anything that's massive destruction like that is... Well, either filler in the cell arc when the army tries to attack, uh-huh. or when Majin Buu wipes everybody out. Well, I was going to say Piccolo Daimao was also destroying. If you destroy buildings, you have to draw the destroyed buildings, and then <laughs> exactly you have to keep track of where the destroyed buildings are, and then yeah, you just yeah. didn't want to deal with that. Completely destroy the city or move them somewhere else. But I also think that it's nice within the movie that we end up in a bunch of different scenes, and we're not just the entire thing is just a capsule corp. Yeah. That's true. So I think that kind of adds to it a little. So we've talked a whole lot about these initial ideas for the movie and how that changed what the story of the movie was going to be and really shaped this this final product, Battle of Gods, as an 85-minute movie. We have one little extra tidbit here that really has nothing to do with the plot or the characters of the movie, except maybe it has a little bit to do with one character. Yes, so we can talk a little bit about Son Goku. And um, it's kind of this throwaway reference that's um, within the interview that Nozawa gave for DVD and Blu-ray Vision. But she's talking about that after she saw the screening, uh, the test screening of the movie together with Akira Toriyama, he sort of uh, posed this question to her, well, do you charge a high rate for your services? And she says, no, why? And apparently uh, the producer... Um, brought Toriyama in in spite of his request to have Nozawa as Goku as she has always been. I mean, he selected her. Yes. So, well, you know, we've auditioned these other people and could you take a look at them? And uh, obviously Toriyama stood firm and had Nozawa as Goku as we can expect of him and the production. But apparently they were considering uh, to the point where they had actually auditioned people. I don't know if they knew that they were auditioning specifically for that role, Mm. but just that they had these, these audition tapes for other people to play Goku. And as much as they didn't have any of that, you know, you can feel a recurring theme in, in all the things that uh, Nozawa has said that she wants to keep playing Goku and go down into the Guinness Book of Records together with him. And I think that means for longevity in terms of her life, right, right. not not just playing the character. She is Goku. I mean, everything she says, yes. everything Toriyama says is, no, the, these two are inextricably linked. They are yes. one in the same. Yes. And I think it is very much her intention to play the character until she dies. And I don't know, it almost seems to be her saying these things as a way to sort of <laughs> sort of snip back at uh, yep. whoever made that executive decision like no i am here i'm not going anywhere <laughs> uh, yes and uh, now there's this interview in the magazine weekly asahi which i'm still transcribing because it's so long but she brings up a number of interesting points about how well you know she she's not as flawless as she used to be she flubs lines and she sometimes says things that aren't in the script that they will occasionally use out of courtesy to her 
But, you know, even so, she's been at this a really long time and she has no intention of giving any ground. And I think still she is head and shoulders above a lot of people who are new in the industry. But she's been around from the very beginning. I mean, she was in the original Astro Boy, not as the title character, but she was there. She was the original Doraemon. She was Rascal the Raccoon, Tom Sawyer, all of these things through the history of Japanese animation, basically. And from her perspective, at least, she's here to stay. But you almost have these rumblings in the background of business end of things. They're making contingency plans. And I think that is really unsettling because, to me, that would have made it a very different film, even if nothing else had changed other than Goku's voice. The whole theme of the movie is it being almost like a reunion for the cast, for the characters. And if, if they had actually gone and changed the voice, I think that would have sort of undermined everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Completely agreed. Uh, I don't know what else there is to add to that, but... Um, Just that you, you could add in Toria's comment of, well, I thought they did that because you were so expensive. <laughs> she just yes. laughed at him. Lols. Yes. I mean, there's a very morbid conversation we could get into where it's, uh, Julian, you used the word contingency before, where it's... Yes. We, we got to get ready for... I mean, this this is happening soon. Well, she's 76 going on 77, right? But, but I think this is not the time. I, I think it is valid that maybe they should be somewhat prepared, but not to the extent of, well, she's still around. She can do it. Let's get rid of her. That's, yeah, I, nobody wants to go there. All right, let's 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 leave that alone. That's a, a sad thing to end on. So let's just kind of recap, regroup. We, we've learned where Battle of Gods came from in the rough draft idea scene. We know what the final version is. Julian, I'll start with you as the only one of the three of us that has seen the movie. <laughs> Were most, if not all, of the decisions made that changed things or adapted things for the final version, were they for the best? I think, all things considered, it did result in a stronger movie. There are a couple of loose hanging threads, like the whole Super Saiyan God thing, which isn't bad in itself, but the backstory feels like it's a remnant of an earlier draft where it was much more integral to the plot. But other than that, I think the changes that resulted from Toriyama being involved in the movie and also a few of the adjustments made on the production end by the director and by the uh, the animation supervisor really resulted in a stronger movie with a more interesting plot that gets away from the standard formula a bit mm, yeah. and which I really liked. I mean, I, I've said it before, there are people on the forum who have um, a variety of opinions and I can understand at least some of them if that's not really your thing. But I feel like this is the kind of thing where even people, if they don't like the overall idea of the film, they can still take away something from it. That I think I I said in the last episode, if this does not put a smile on your face at some point in it, then maybe you need to re-examine your priorities. Heath? Oh, man, I, how do you follow that up? Because <laughs> You can just say yes. <laughs> I, I almost completely agree with everything that, that Julian said, because that's that's really what it comes down to, especially the latter part that he discussed. I mean, you, you have to come out of this with a smile, and it's got Toriyama just oozing out of it. All right, so, so let me know. interrupt you then. If it's going to be the same thing, then let me change the question. Okay. Is 
everything we've talked about and how much we've talked about the movie, are we putting too much importance and lavish praise Mm. on it for what it's done? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, part of it is, you know, the whole nostalgia factor just comes out. And it's new. And that's kind of hard. Yeah, that's kind of hard to avoid. And and I'm just reading it and writing things. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Can't wait to see it. Um, But other than that, I think... As far as the Toriyama part, I I think it really turned out to be very crucial. Yeah, we keep coming back involvement. to that. You know, I'm I'm really hoping that Watanabe learned a little from it, maybe how to think about the storytelling more from Toriyama's standpoint, and and we can see more things like this in the future. I I just don't know what else to say because it it seems like such a great movie for not having seen it, and that's what is very hard <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> oh it's tough all right well let's bring this episode to a close and i love all the material we've been able to cover and i hope to uh more concisely adapt this into text you can refer to as well but i love talking and hashing this stuff out uh, it's what i think the the podcast does really well and gives us all a chance to come together on that so i again i'm just so much in love with dragon ball and doing the show and doing the websites it all just makes me happy so julian i did come away with a smile so that all right i am glad to hear that sir right, good i think if anything it's just nice that we have all this background information almost instantaneously. I know. That even though we haven't seen the film yet, we can have these types of discussions and inform people about it and, you know, really dig deep into things that we've never really been able to before. Uh, yeah, insert general spiel of 2013 is not 1996. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's bring it to a close. Um, next week on the show, I... I always hate saying what the plan is going to be because the plan will invariably change if I announce that there will be a plan. Uh, I would like to cover the Dream 9 Super Collaboration Special next week if Julian can catch it locally and onward from there. So that's a plan. There are other plans as well. So let's just look forward to the future of 2013 and Dragon Ball. So Heath, thank you for joining us after a rockin' evening you had. Well, thanks for having me. I I hope I brought my... C game, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we'll call you C game Hujio. Let's call him A game Jedi of the science. Mm, I don't know. Okay. I, I It's weird. I never use screen names with you. You've always just been Julian to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't use it really on the forum either. No. I'm, I'm just Julian. I think I, I knew think any of us soon. really use screen names anymore. When people refer to me by my screen name on the forum, it takes me a minute before I realize they're addressing me. I know. And I think, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> well, thank you. I know it's uh, it's late over there in Japan, and tomorrow's a Monday, so that means a weekly jump. So go to bed. Oh, okay. Well, I will uh, talk to you tomorrow morning then. All right. Well, send me your audio before you go to bed. So we got right. over there. We got Julian over there. My name is Mike Fujito EX. This is episode 329 of our podcast at Kanzenshu, which, by the way, is a year old now. I know. I can't believe it. We've been so busy that there was no way for us to celebrate the, we did the new launch of the combined fusion a year ago. It's just kind of, whoop, okay. Yes. Just, we hit that milestone. Yeah. Yes, our, our April Fool's joke was that we were too busy for April Fool's. Yes, we we apologize to everyone that anticipated something. You know how things go. Pretend for that for one day we uh, announced our separation back into Kanzentai and Daizenshu EX and that we had uh, 
dummy URLs where you could go and view Kanzenshu using special CSS that converted it back to our old clunky layout. <laughs> so next year's plan. Okay. <laughs> All right. So folks, it's been a pleasure. This is 329. See you next week for 330. Uh, Julian, wrap it up. All right. Well, thank you for listening to yet another insightful and heated discussion on Kanzenshu, the podcast, your one-stop source for all sorts of Dragon Ball news on the internet and into your ears. So stay tuned for next episode. <laughs>